Right now, we are kind of on the, uh, we're rounding third um, on our way home on the launch of what we call Arise. And Arise is more than a series. Uh, it's really the launching pad of a movement. Many lives, one movement. It's a movement of people aimed at the mission of Jesus to help people believe, belong, become, and build. And what we've been talking about over the last three weeks, I, I know for some people, like we've, we've you know, I, I, there, for 99% of our church, I get wonderful things said. And, and then there are, you know, the other people that we need to help us with humility and to uh, help us develop character. And, and we thank God for them. How many of you know iron sharpens iron and you can only do that with friction? And so, and so some people might say, oh, this series is all about money. It's all about money. No, no, no. Let me help you. That's short-sightedness. This series is all about faith. The whole series is written about faith. The whole series is all about faith. Because faith, without it, you got nothing. You got nothing, right? You, you can't live a life for God without faith. And so when we're talking about stepping into defining moments out of our comfort, into our calling, that's about faith. We're talking about trust and getting in the wheelbarrow and trusting God completely with our lives and not leaning on our own understanding. That's faith. We're talking about stepping into not our what, but our why. That's about faith. When we're talking about surrender, that's about faith. When we talk about making a way for others that immature believers only think about their house, their life, their checking account, them, them, them. But mature believers say, no, just like Abraham, where God's calling on him was that all the generation be blessed through him. Mature believers start saying, how do I get out of my head, out of my house, out of my family, out of my bank account, and become a way maker for those around me because people made a way for me, right? And that takes faith. We said faith is launching out into the deep. This is last week, by the way, which was the best message. Um, <laughs> faith is launching out into the deep when you don't know how it's gonna turn out. And so then last weekend, a lot of our church family took huge steps of faith. See, if you're short-sighted, you think that this is all about money in a building. If you're spiritually sighted, you say, oh, the money's used to build buildings, but the offering's used to build faith. And so, um, so we talked about that last week, and, and we talked about different things. And so last week was awesome. And I'll tell you why it was awesome. Because what God, we, we are not waiting on a move of God. The church has been guilty too long of praying for a move of God while Jesus is interceding for a movement of people. We're not really waiting on a move of God. He's kind of done his thing. Like he sent Jesus and Jesus paid for everything and then got out of the tomb. And then Jesus sat down. Why did he sit down? He said, I did my part. You're going to have to do, you're going to have to take it from here, guys. You're going to have to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You're going to have to bear my name, bear my message. You're going to have to bear the calling that is upon you. And, and so, and so while the church has been sitting here saying, oh God, we need you to move. God's been in heaven saying, oh church, we need you to move. I'm sorry. Is this okay? 
Merry Christmas. And so um, I'm just, this is one of those pastoral chats, right? This is just pull up a chair and let's have a conversation. Because what I loved about last weekend was our church said yes. We made our commitment. We said, God, we will step in faith. We, will, we want to see you move through us. We want to see not what you can do. We want to see what you can do through us. And it was awesome. It was a holy moment. And I am so proud. Like the stewardship team was telling me that you talk about faith. We had people who gave $500 last year committing 14,000 over the next two years. You talk about faith. People giving 3,000 last year and they've committed 18 and 19,000 over the next two years. Talk about faith. Right. And so, um, so to me, like when I get those type of reports, like, remember our goal, our number one goal was participation, not dollars. Right. You know what I love? We, we got a card from, I think it was a single mom that said, I can't give a number because I just got a new job and my income's based on commission, but my commitment is 10% of everything I make. See, that's 100%. I got a commitment card from a family who said, we're praying, pray for us. We'll have a number before May 19th. I'm all good with that. You know, like that is participation. That is, and listen, it's, it's the process that I want you to go through. I want you to sit down with God. If, if this is your church home, right? If it's not your church home, now let me explain what it means by the church home. Are, are you getting fed here? Right? Are you getting fed here? Like if you're a guest today, pause, I'll be back with you in a moment. But for our pathway people, if this is your church home, like I would never eat at a restaurant and not pay my bill. If I got fed there, I would say there's some, something in me that says I should honor the chef and the waiter, right? And I think that's, that's when, we, when we make a place our church home, that's why giving is the next step. Now, the number one reason we ask you to give is because it changes you. The Bible talks about love 700 times. It talks about giving 2,100 times. And every time it talks about giving, it talks about how it changes you. And so this is stewardship, discipleship, or synonymous. So I'm asking our family not, not to give an offering, to walk through a process of growing and building and, and moving forward with God and stepping out in faith. I'm asking you to let God build your faith because here's what I can tell you. I, I was having a conversation with uh, Pastor Mark and he said, how are you feeling? I said, I've had peace the whole time. God's going to do it. I said, I just hope he doesn't do it in spite of us. And, and I said, that's my heart as a pastor is that, that when we step into that building and people start getting saved and marriages start getting restored and people start getting healed, I said there essentially could be two groups of people, the people who made a way and their faith is as high as it's ever been and they celebrate and they get to see that, hey, while we sowed, now we are reaping a harvest of something a lot bigger than Benjamin's. And I said, then there'll be people say, man, I really wish I'd have been a part of this. I really wish that I had one of those stories because we're already getting testimonies a week after people made commitments. Kind of crazy. Last night, I had two people talk to me. And they said, hey, by the way, I did a new commitment card. I said, why? We raised our number. I said, really? They said, yeah, we were here last week and we wrote down a number and then God said, we have to increase it 5%. 
So we put in a new commitment card. So please let the stewardship team know that this one's the real one. <laughs> I had two families tell me that. It's awesome. And so here's, here's what I want to say to, the, to, to my Pathway family who's already walked through this process. Thank you for seeing what it is. And thank you for letting God speak. And thank you for walking forward in faith. And I am praying that God does more than you can ask or imagine through your lives. Now, for my Pathway family who are still praying about their commitments, right? Thank you for taking time and not making it flippant, but praying and waiting until you get a firm number. Thank you. Thank you for taking, because I've heard from a lot of our church family. We're still praying. We're trying to get this. I want to say thank you. That tells me you're honoring the process and you're really seeking the Lord. And I want to say thank you. And I, I want to ask a huge favor, if at all possible. Next weekend, I'd love to give results, and I'd love for them to be as accurate as possible, right? So here's, here's what you need to know. Based on the results of this, we'll determine when we break, when we break ground, okay? So we're, we're, in other words, basically where we're at is just that moment to tell us, are we going to break ground right now, or do we have some work left to do? right? That's why I need, our elder team has to make hard decisions, right? I know somebody's out there, pastor, just in faith, just go out there. Okay. In faith, you put your name on $10 million. I think it's enough faith that we're going to move forward just with commitment cards, (laughs) right? Like I'm betting on Jesus through you, but we have to make some hard decisions and, uh, and we're ready. And listen, if, if we hit our goal, if we hit our goal, then we'll break ground next month and we'll have bulldozers rolling by September, right? And we'll be in the building in two years. That's how long it'll take to get it done. So, so we're ready to go as an elder team. We're just waiting to hear from you guys. And so if you haven't made that commitment, hey, get on a mountain, get in a valley, get in a closet, wherever you need to get to find Jesus so that you can find that commitment and get it in. And let me just, I, I'm, gonna, I'm one of those that... Um, I just kind of go all in. And, and you, can, you can put me in the category of a TV preacher or some other pastor you had, and all you'll do is miss out on the, on the blessing that's on my life coming to you, right? So if you want to judge me based on a past experience, I, I've made a commitment. I've been uh, skewered by church people and talked about in ways that you wouldn't imagine. And I choose not to judge you based on what others do. I'd love it if you would give me that same courtesy. So what I'm going to say is, is a little bit blunt, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say this. And everybody's like, <gasps> if, if you're a pathway person and you have determined you will not fill out a commitment card no matter what, then you need to go ask God what's wrong with your heart. That simple, right? Because this is a discipleship process that God has called our church to. The elders have prayed about this. Our staff has prayed about this. We've got probably, I don't know, 12, 18 months invested in prayer and effort and all the things to get us this moment. And if you're sitting there saying, no, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Then for me, I don't care if you do it or not, but you should find out why you have set your heart against it. Why you would not be willing just to pray about it. Now, if you go pray about it and God tells you, I don't want you to give a dollar, please just write that on the card. And that would be 100% participation. We're right back to goal number one. I'll be happy with that. Right? 
I don't think he's going to say that. And I think that's why you may not want to pray about it. And that's okay. I've been there too. Hear my heart. I've been there too. I've, there's times I didn't want to pray about things because I was scared of what the answer might be. Right? But I'm going to ask again, all of our church, I want 100% participation. And listen, if you need time, you're praying about it, praise the Lord, pray about it. Thank you for taking it seriously. If there's any way you can let us know by May 14th, which is Wednesday, so that we can let the church know where we're at next weekend, that'd be awesome. If, if there's not, maybe just let us know that. Say, hey, we're definitely going to do something. I don't think we're going to be ready by May 14th. You know, we're selling our house and all of our cars and, you know, whatever. I don't know. But anyways, if you're not, just maybe you could let us know that. We are going to do this, you know, but hey, I don't think we're going to be ready by May 14th. But remember, our goal is 100% participation. 100% participation. And that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you what to give. I'm not telling you to give. All I've asked you to do is walk through a process with God where you talk and say, on that giving ladder of potential giver, emerging giver, consistent giver, tithe giving, extravagant giver, God, where am I? I know where I am, but God, where do you want me to be and how do you want me to participate? And then all I'm asking you to do is ask God what he wants you to do and do it. All I'm asking you to do. As a pastor, that's all I'll ever ask you to do. Does that sound fair? Because that is the crux of obedience. And the Bible says if we have faith, then we walk in obedience. And obedience is simply, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And that's what I'm asking all of y'all to do. Every one of you. Just simply, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. I just want you to put your life in his hands. All I want you to do. All I'll ever want you to do. Amen? So I love you. I hope you hear my heart in this. And I know there will be people who say, oh, it's about money. Pastor wants a building. Listen, my family's saved. I have a good salary. I have a good life. I do not need a building to prove I'm anybody. But I made a, com I made a covenant with God that if he would put his hand upon me, I would reach as many people as I knew how. And I will, with all tenacity, vigor, and all the energy that I have in my soul, do everything I can to reach as many people as I can. And if you're sitting in this room and you're a pathway person, you're probably thankful for that because I'm your pastor. So I love you. All I want to do is take over the world with you. That's it. World domination is where our train stops. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So at, at the end, we have commitment cards out. If you're needing to make your commitment this weekend, if you're prepared to do that, um, we'll give you a little space at the end, and then you can put it in the wheelbarrow like we did last weekend to say, God, we're putting all of our life in your hands. Uh, or you can put it in one of the offering boxes. Um, but I can't wait to see what God does through you. So... Um, <clears throat> Also, mothers, I forgot to tell you, we have a gift for you. And I made a mistake last night because the gift has several things in it. But the only thing I cared about was the truffles. And they, they ordered boxes of truffles. like, And then they ordered just enough for you. And they didn't order any for me. So I've been in the office all week with 100 pounds of truffles. I want you to know my faith has been tested. And I want you to know, apparently I love you because I stayed out of the truffles. 
But there are other things in there is my whole point. Because somebody's, no, I don't want the chocolate. You know, I'm watching, you know, and I don't want the But there's lotion and there's some tea in there. There's some tea. But I thought it was potpourri because it smells really good. But it's tea. So there's some cool stuff for you. So make sure you get that on your way out. Okay? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Why don't you turn with me in your Bible to um, Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And um, <laughs> um, I'm going to continue this series Arise um, really with another chapter in Abraham's uh, life. And, you know, um, I don't guess I've ever preached a message that I didn't have a burden to preach. And so every weekend, they're kind of my favorites. Does that make sense? Because I have prayed over them. I have studied. I have met with God. I've met with the Holy Spirit. And, and, it, and I marinate in it. And it just starts working its way into my soul. Jeremiah said it this way. It's like fire shut up in my bones. And, and so I get up this week. And I'm like, hey, this is the best message. But then I think, but last week was the best message. And then, well, the week before really was, by the way, all of these are on video. You can watch them through the app, through our webpage. You can watch them on YouTube. They're all on video. You can catch up with us. But, but this one to me, I don't know, as I was getting ready, the more that I studied this one, the more excited that I got. And, uh, and so I'm just going to dive in and, and we're going to let God speak to us. Amen. And so Genesis chapter 15, this is just to give you um, context. Genesis chapter 12 is where we really see God's calling on Abraham. Now we know through Stephen's words in the book of Acts, and if you put the whole timeline together, God spoke to Abram when he was in Ur, then they went to Haran, then for whatever reason they stopped in Haran, then Abraham's dad passed away. And by the way, it's Abraham or Abram. So I may go back and forth, but it's the same guy. All right. So Abram or Abraham, uh, his dad passed away. And then he set out for the land of Canaan. We don't know if God spoke again to reconfirm his word. If you read the Bible, it kind of looks like, you know, his dad passed, they were journeying, his dad passed away, then God spoke. But we actually know from Stephen that God spoke in Ur. So maybe God reaffirmed or maybe Abraham just knew it was time to continue on. And, and so that was when Abraham was 75 years old. So now fast forward 10 years. So God, uh, we see in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abraham and he talks about his descendants that he's going to have and how God is going to bless him and make him a nation. Um, and so God gives him this promise, all of these promises, but which call it the promise. So all the promises and God promises blessing and increase and all these things. Fast forward 10 years. So we know in Genesis 11, Abraham and Sarah are barren. They cannot have children. Then God promises them a, a nation, descendants, right? Fast forward 10 years and there are still no children. Right? So I just want to, I just pause right here and say, so if you're in this room and God has promised you something and it hasn't been fulfilled yet, it's okay, you're in good company. Right? Because this is 10 years into it, still no kids right? And so then God speaks to Abraham or Abram at this point. God speaks to Abram. Again, it says chapter 15, verse one says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram. Now, for I will protect you and your war will be great. You know, God knows when to talk and when not to. And in this, this verse, we see like, I'm just wondering, 
in this 10 years, I'm wondering how many times Abraham thought, God, you going to tell me anything? You going to show up? You going to help me with, like, God, we're not having any kids. God, still not. Because right, right after they got the promise, I think the next month they thought Sarah would be pregnant. Wouldn't you think that? And, and then, if, you know, then you understand there are things that happen on a cycle. And so then all of a sudden it's like, no, it wasn't this month. No, it wasn't this month. No, it wasn't this month. And now we're 10 years of no, it wasn't this month. That's, that's about 120 months, any way you measure it. And I'm sure in that 120 months, Abram thought, you know, God, are you, hello, hello. I know for me, there have been times in my life where I felt like a prophet or the Holy Spirit, whoever, couldn't find my house if they needed to. Because like, God, where are you at? But then God speaks. And I found that sometimes God, has, God sees the value and how it builds our faith if he doesn't speak. Like we all see the value of when God speaks, it builds our faith. But sometimes our faith is built by God not speaking. Because we have to hang on. We have to persevere. The Bible says perseverance produces some things for us. And so now God speaks and he speaks in a vision. I'll protect you and your war be great. Verse two, but Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants will be my heir. I think this is one of those prayers like we do where we remind God what he hasn't done in our life. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't do that? Uh, okay, it's just me. All right, never mind. That was just for me. Abraham did it too, father of faith. So verse four, then the, then the Lord said to him, <laughs> I'm in good company, so. Uh, the Lord said to him, no, your servant will, will not be your heir, for you will have a son, your own son, he'll be your heir. And then the Lord took Abraham outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're gonna have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. He believed and was made righteous. Verse seven, then the Lord told him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. And verse eight, this is really what I want to talk about. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? How can I be sure. You know, if, if you're in this room, and, and I believe, I believe that we are people of promise, and I believe we should live with a fresh promise. You should have a promise from God on your dashboard, a promise for you, for your family, whatever. But I believe that God, God calls us and God promises us, and so we should live kind of as children of promise. And, and, and if God has ever promised you something, then I would be willing to wager, although I'm not a, a betting man, I'm too conservative for that, but I would be willing to wager you've either asked this question or wanted to ask this question. Quite frankly, when I look at what God has called me to do this morning in, in my devotion time, I was reading about Gideon because um, I just felt like reading the book of Judges uh, right now. So I was reading about Gideon. 
And, and I was reading he was the least in his tribe, you know, and he was the least of the families and the Midianites were so powerful. And I mean, you just read and, and you see Gideon's response, like, God, how can, and, and that's kind of the way I felt. Like, God, what, what you've, I feel like, promised and asked me to do, like, if, if I use my brain at all, um, and I'm analytical, so it's hard for me to not use my brain, um, it's pretty much impossible. Like, there's not a way to get where I see you want us to go from where we are. I, I can just tell you. And, and so for me, there are times now, maybe you're probably more holy. You probably have more faith. You and God probably walked together in the garden this morning where I had my devotion time in my office and read my scripture. You probably had like the manifest presence of God and y'all walked around your neighborhood. Maybe that's where you're at. That's not where I'm at. And so for me, there have been times where I've wanted to say, hey, God, how, how can I be sure that you're going to do what you said. Because what you said seems really big. It seems impossible. And, and I love this because Abraham is at the crossroads where most spiritual warfare takes place. The Bible tells us there's a spirit of fear to slavery and there's a spirit of adoption to sonship. And right where they meet, is the battleground of faith. Abraham was afraid. We see that what we just read. What was he afraid of? He was afraid that God wasn't going to do it. And what I've found is when God gives us a promise, we're going to run into this, this intersection, this fork in the road, and the warfare is going to be whether we believe the spirit that makes us slaves, fearful slaves, fear, or whether we're going to continue to believe the spirit who leads us into adoption. And this is that crossroads, and we pick which one we put our faith in. The, the fear is usually we put faith in what we see or don't see. The adoption is we put faith in what we've heard. It's always easier to put faith in what we see or don't see. It is always more challenging to put faith in simply what we've been promised. This is great preaching, and I'm not even getting loud. Do you see that? I'm totally under the radar on this deal. But that's, that's really the battle. And that's where Abraham is. And he asked this question. What I think is interesting is we just read Abraham or Abram believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed. And then how can I be sure? Isn't that interesting? What does that tell me? He's at the crossroad. I believe but I don't see it. And what do you do when you don't see what God said? Because what we do when we don't see what God said determines whether we will ever see what God said. I'm going to give you a minute because none of this is in my notes, but I'm having a great time. 
right? And so he says, I believe. And then he says, but how can I be sure? I believe, but, but how can I be sure? And, and what happens after this, what's amazing to me is God answers him. And we'll get to that in a minute. But what happens after this, I think so, um, so gets branded on the heart of Abraham. He becomes so confident in not what he hasn't seen, but what he has heard. He becomes so confident that in Genesis 22, when God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, to this mountain. Now you got to think about this because God didn't say go to here. He said, go to a place I'm going to show you. Imagine the faith of a man who, because if God asks us to do something hard, how many know we really don't want to have to walk with him in humility and right? We, no, if God was like, where do I drop it off? You know what I'm saying? And, and here's what God does to him. He says, hey, not only am I going to ask you to sacrifice your son, I'm going to make it hard for you. You've got to seek me and walk close enough to me that you'll know the place when you get there. I'm not going to tell you where it is. You actually have to seek me to know the place to do the thing that you don't want to do. But Abram does it. And before he leaves, he tells his servants, you guys stay here. The boy and I are going there to worship. And he says this, we will return to you. There was a lot of speculation about what he meant, but here's what I believe. What happens in Genesis 15, when God answers this question, gives Abram such confidence in God that what he said is, death can't even stop the promise. And so I call this message, and this is what I want for you. I call this message covenant confidence. Covenant confidence. And so you got to understand first. So, so Abraham asked the question, how, how can I... How can I be sure? How can I be sure? And God's going to answer the question. But first of all, let's, let's just talk for just a minute about what he, what he was trying to be sure of. Because here's what God had promised him in short. Now, you could break this out in a lot of different ways. But God had promised him righteousness or justification by faith. In other words, God's saying, you get to be right with me because you believe. We just read that. God promised him inheritance. I'm going to give you this land that is not yours, and I'm going to give it to your descendants. God promised him prosperity. And, and I know a lot of people sometimes in church get too far out of bounds with pro what we call prosperity gospel, but, but there is the reality and the truth of the Bible that God prospers us. And sometimes, you know, with the church, we're usually a pendulum. And I don't mean this in a bad way. It's like prosperity, we can run out there and kick our pinto, and it's going to turn into a Ferrari, right? Or there's poverty. Like, no, God has to keep us poor so we can stay humble. And both of those are demonic. If you ask me right there in the middle is where God prospers us. And the Bible says God prospered Abraham. He gave him land as an inheritance. He said, I'm going to make you a nation. And then Genesis 13, two says, and Abram became very rich. Now tell me how most people say right here. Now, wait a second. That's he was rich in the Lord, just rich in the Lord. Well, I love that, but that's just not what the Bible says. He became very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. How many in here would like to be very rich in livestock, silver, and gold? If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar. No, I just don't want to be blessed. Now, here's the thing where a lot of prosperity teaching misses it. God prospers us for his purpose. 
If you're not going to walk in the purpose, don't ask him to prosper you. Right? God blessed Abraham and made him very rich. Why? He's trying to birth a nation. He wanted to make sure that nation had a treasury where they weren't in debt to China. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? I'm sorry. Better get back to these notes. Um, so prosper, inheritance, prosperity. This is what I'm saying. The Bible, God wants to prosper you to do his purpose. He wants to prosper you. Why? To do his purpose. When we walk in purpose, we can expect him to prosper us. When we walk in his vision, we can expect his provision. Okay. And then the next thing, health. The Bible says Abram had a long life. God gave him a long, a long life. He lived 175 years. That was like 40 or 50 years longer than, than Sarah. Nothing against her, but I'm just saying the average person at that time did not live 175 years, but Abraham lived a long life. He was healthy. And not only that, God restored his health. So there's, now we're talking about healing, right? Now, how did God restore his health? Brace yourself. Because when Abram's about 99 years old, Sarah laughs when God says, you're going to have a child. And she laughs because she says, am I still going to have, can I even have pleasure from my Lord who is old? She's not talking about God. She's talking about Abraham. It was a little L. <laughs> and let me help you because some of you, it's early. You didn't get it. She's saying, there's no blue pill. There's no smiling Bob. God's saying we're going to have kids. And she's like, I need to let you know that's kind of funny because things don't work anymore. <laughs> but watch this. People say, well, God, you know, divinely, you know, helped Sarah conceive to have Isaac. But what you miss is Genesis 25 because Sarah passes away and Abraham marries again. And at the at the ripe age of 137 years old, father six more children. And you don't think there was like healing and restoration of the body? I'm just going to leave that there with you and go on to the next one. And so God promises descendants and generations and a great nation. And he, he, he promises a generational blessing that what is Abraham is blessed with perpetually will bless every generation that follows really all the way to even the Gentiles to us. So what I'm saying is God promised him a lot. Could, could we say that? Like this wasn't a small promise. Like it wasn't just you're barren and you'll have a child, but it was all of this. And so I think Abraham's sitting there thinking, you said all of this, and it's a lot. And how can I be sure? Now, here's the great thing. God answers him, and, and what we're going to find out in the end is God answers you. Like, if you're wanting to ask that question today, you need to know God may not answer it because he already has. But God answers Abraham. Now, here's how God answers him. How can I be sure? Genesis 15, verse 9, picking up where we left off. He said to him, watch this. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a pigeon, and a partridge in pear tree. Now, time out. Time out. This proves to me that Jesus and God are father and son. 
because people would ask Jesus a question. He'd say, you know, they'd say, you know, God, what does, you know, what do you, Jesus, what do you believe about the second coming or whatever? And he would say, you know, there are two men in a field. What does that have to do with anything that I just asked, Jesus? <laughs> right? And Abram said, how can I be sure? And God says, I want you to bring me a petting zoo. <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't get it. So anyway, so if you're wondering, how can you be sure? Here it is. God said, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Let's stand and pray. You can go home and be encouraged. What's amazing to me is verse 10, because it says, and he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid them each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. What amazes me is Abram knew what to do with this. So apparently, Abram knew something we don't know. Because today, if you said, God, how can I be sure? And he said, get me a heifer and a goat and a ram and a pigeon and a turtle dove, you'd be like, uh-huh. But Abram's like, yes. And he goes and gets the animals. So what do you know that we don't know? We understood what covenant was. We understood what covenant was. Hey, Tony, can you and Andrew, I can't want to say Andy. Sorry, Andrew. Come on. Can you guys help me for just a minute? Hey, they're going to help me. Can you cheer them on? All right. How you doing, everybody? Are you stand right here, Andrew? All right. So we're going to pretend just for a minute, that these guys, we're, we're going to find out what Abraham knew that we didn't know, and, and then I'll make it all make sense. So this is, the, this is the warrior tribe, and this is the farmer tribe, because he's with Whataburger. <laughs> and so, so, so warrior tribe, farmer tribe. And, and they would come together and say, we're going to make a covenant. And so you guys stand right here in the middle. It's right here. Right? And if they were going to do that, they would prepare it because they would take these animals, heifer, ram, that type of thing. They would split the animals in half and put half the animal here, literally half the animal there, and half the animal there. And then they would, now I want you to walk out and around the imaginary animals and come right back here. And then they would pass through, you got to go the same way. Then they would, no, 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 you got to go around your set of animals. There we go. It's so hard. And then come back around right here. And so they would walk around the animals and they would come back right in the middle and then they would stand in the middle of the animals in the blood. And then what they would say is, okay, this is the covenant. They would talk about the conditions or, or the promises, but we'll say conditions of the covenant that they're gonna make. And what they would be saying is, your tribe is now my tribe, my tribe is now your tribe. Your weapons are my weapons, my weapons are your weapons. My assets are your assets, your assets are my assets, right? My people are your people, your people are my people, right? And so they would walk through all the conditions of the covenant and they would, they would exchange assets. Sometimes they would exchange robes, they would exchange names, but then they would cut their hands. So we're gonna cut your hand and then we'll cut your hand and cut your hand. And then they would put the blood together then they would pull it apart. Then they'd put dirt in their hands so that they knew it would get infected and leave a scar. And what they were saying is, this is a reminder that we're in covenant. And here's the terms. They said, let it be done to me even worse than death if I don't keep my end of this covenant. And what that meant was, if, if Andrew doesn't keep his covenant, 
He's saying my whole tribe will be put to death. And if Tony doesn't keep his part of the covenant, he's saying my whole tribe will be put to death. And so they exchange weapons. They're saying your enemies are my enemies, my enemies, your, your family, all that, right? And then they would celebrate with a covenant meal. Sometimes they would plant a tree, especially if they were in California. And so, <laughs> and so this was now a binding covenant and the penalty for breaking it was death to the whole tribe. All right, you guys can sit down. Can you give them a hand? They're awesome. And so when God speaks to Abraham and says, divide the animals and lay them out there, Abraham immediately goes into motion because he understands what a covenant ceremony looks like. Now, the amazing thing is he prepares everything. In fact, he has to chase the birds away in the afternoon because how many of you know when you have damn animals laying around all day in the heat, you get critters. But he stays there all day. And then all of a sudden, this is what's, because he's, gonna, he's, he's thinking God and I are about to walk through these animals and stand in the blood. And then God does something sneaky. He makes him fall asleep. And while Abraham's sleeping, God shows him that he's going to have descendants. They're going to go into slavery. I think this is where God preaches the gospel that we see in Galatians 3. God preaches the gospel that even the Gentiles are going to be blessed because of him. And while Abraham is sleeping, a, a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot appear and walk through the covenant ceremony together. Now, we see flaming torch and smoking fire pot, but the truth is, if you go back to Mount Sinai where it talks about the smoke and the lightnings, it's the same Hebrew words. In other words, while Abraham is sleeping, God's presence comes to the earth and walks through the covenant. And here's what God's saying. Abram, I'm gonna keep my part of the covenant and I'm gonna keep your part of the covenant. So this covenant is gonna be completely based on grace. You can't keep it and I'm not gonna ask you to. I'm actually gonna keep both parts of the covenant so that by faith you can be blessed. And then, and then God in um, Genesis 17 comes to Abraham and says, hey, remember that covenant we had? Um, I want you to bear a sign of it on your body. And he introduces circumcision. And then God says, hey, remember that covenant we had? I want to change your name. And you're going to go from Abram to Abraham. I'm going to put the, which is literally would be Hebrew for breath or spirit. I'm going to put breath. I'm going to put part of me in your name. You see what I'm saying? So Abraham, how can you be sure? Well, if you ever doubt again, remember... I made a covenant with you and basically said, let it be to me worse than death if I don't keep up my end and your end. Let me say it another way. Since God's not going to die, here's what he said. I'm not God if I don't do it. In fact, Hebrews 6 verse 16 says this. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. That's why we, like in a courtroom, say, I'll tell the whole truth, so help me God. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise, watch this, could be perfectly sure. 
that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise, right? That's his promise. Then his oath, the covenant. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have, watch this, great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. So Abraham says, God, how can I be sure? And God walks him through this ceremony and says, I'm making a covenant. I want you to bear a sign and I want you to bear my name. I want you to bear a seal. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, Galatians 3.14 says this, Jesus redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Jesus redeemed us, Galatians 3.14. Jesus redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come up. Who, who are the Gentiles? Some of you are not sure. Let me help you. You are the Gentiles. Ready? Now, one more time. Who are the Gentiles? You're doing so good. So good. So what does this say? That the blessing of Abraham can come upon the Gentiles because of what Jesus did. How can I be sure? Like, Pastor, this is great. You've told me why Abraham could have covenant confidence, but how can I be sure? Well, 2,000 years ago, God put a man on a cross on this side, and then he put a man on a cross on this side. This one would blaspheme him. That one would repent. And in the middle of the two sacrifices, God hung his son in the blood, in the middle. And there was thunderings, lightning, and darkness as the presence of God. Now, Isaiah 49 tells us that Jesus is our covenant. Why? Because in the middle of the two sacrifices was God and man. Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. And so God took responsibility for his part and for our part and stood in the middle of the sacrifices and passed through and said, let it be done to me worse than death if I don't keep, your, keep the promise to you that all the blessing that was promised to Abraham would come upon not only the Jews, but the Gentiles by grace through faith. Are you with me? And then God said, now this is the thing, God did that and he said, now, 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 I, I want you to bear a scar. Because I want you to remember, when you say, God, how can I be sure? I want you to remember that between the two sacrifices 2,000 years ago, God and man stood together and made a covenant. But I want you to be sure. So God said, I want you to have, I want to give you a sign, a scar. Colossians 2.11 says that in baptism, our hearts are cut. We have a circumcision of the heart. And so God said, how can I be sure? Well, I have a scar. That's why baptism is so important. And then God said, how can I be sure? God said this, I tell you what, I want to seal this, why? With my breath, Abraham. Ephesians 1.14, the spirit is God's 
guarantee that he will give us the inheritance. He pro- How can I be sure? How can I be sure? God, what you promised me today seems impossible. It seems too big. It doesn't even seem like I could get there from here if I wanted to. God, how can I be sure? And God's saying, I answered the question already. I've already answered the question because 2,000 years ago, I made a covenant with my son at the cross. And by faith, because of my grace, you enter into it. If you want to know how you can be sure, you look at the cross. If you want to know how you can be sure, you look at your heart, which bears the scar of circumcision by the hand of God. If you want to know how you can be sure, you stand in my presence because every time you sense my presence in worship, in prayer, in your car, in your home, it is a promise of the seal of the guarantee that I will keep my promise because I am who I said I am. Now, for some of us, we're like, but what's my part? What's my part? I need to know my part. Romans 4, 16. It depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Here's what God said. I did your part because you can't. And if my covenant was dependent upon you, you'd be in trouble. So here's what I need you to do. Go to sleep. Hebrews 4 said, we enter into his. Now, Now, what does this mean? Well, it means the blessings of Abraham. So number one, justification by faith. Justification by faith. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Right? It means inheritance. Every child of God gets an inheritance. Whether you have one on earth or not, you get an inheritance. Ephesians 1.11. In Jesus also we have... Now watch this. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him also we have obtained. We have... Now is that present? Is that past? Is it future? We have obtained. I'm not a grammarian, but I think I know what ED on the end of a word means. That is past tense. See, in the natural, in the natural, in the natural, inheritance is past when the father passes away or the mother. But in the kingdom, the father never passes away. So inheritance is transferred when the son is born or the daughter. Why are we born again? Because I'm born into a family that has an inheritance. And inheritance is transferred when I'm born into the kingdom. That's why Paul said, you have obtained. Why? Because he was talking to Christians. He didn't say you will obtain when you die. No, no, no. You have obtained. See, we have an elder that says a lot of times that most believers live way below their pay grade. And what he's saying is you simply cannot walk in something you don't know you have. If you don't know you have an inheritance, you'll never, you'll never write the first check. You'll never make a draft on it. Having a million dollars in a bank account does you no good if you don't know it and you don't have a routing number and account number. That's why we read the Bible, because it tells us who we are, whose we are, and what we have. And so everybody, every child of God has an inheritance. Number two, prosperity. Prosperity. They exchange assets. By the way, they exchange weapons. What do we have? Sword of Spirit, armor of God. 
They exchanged robes. Didn't we get a robe of righteousness? They also exchanged assets and liabilities. What was our liability? We owed a debt we couldn't pay. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, this is prosperity, that, through he, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This is why you can prosper, because he paid for you to prosper. Like, you need to know that. You need to know that he paid. And listen, it has nothing to do with your pay grade, your position, the job you're in, whether you're employed or not employed. It doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with the blessing that's on your life. Right? I could tell you the story about when we lost everything and we were pastoring the church and we couldn't tell anybody and it was hard and it sucked and I hated it. And I can tell you that God, how am I going to provide? I can tell the conversation, God, how am I going to provide for my family? I'm pastoring a church. They can't pay me. I just lost everything. And God said, oh, you thought, you thought your prosperity was based on your paycheck. Your prosperity is based on the blessing of Abraham on your life by the covenant that I made. And I can tell you the time that, I mean, God just did crazy stuff. $10,000. I had a guy walk in my office one time. It didn't even go to the church, I don't think. Walked in my office hand me a check for $5,000. said, hey, I, I sold a piece of land and the Holy Spirit just said I was supposed to bring you $5,000. I said, okay, for the church. He said, no, 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 for you and Julie. He had no idea what was going on in my life. It's a blessing of Abraham. Right? And, and then there's health and there's healing. Psalm 91 said he'll satisfy us with long life. 1 Peter 2.24 says that by Jesus' stripes we were. Notice it says were because he's quoting Isaiah and Isaiah is on this side and he is prophesying toward the cross. And he's saying right there at the cross, that is where you are healed. Peter is on the other side of the cross and he is looking back at the cross and he's saying right there is where you were healed. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, which exchange assets and liabilities, his benefits, that's assets, who forgives all of my iniquity and heals all my diseases. Like you need to know healing is promised to you by covenant. You need to know that. I know, I know. And I'll get to this at some point. Well, but, but what, what about, what about, what about, what about, do you want to walk by promise or by sight? You want to walk by promise, that's by faith or by sight, what you see and what you don't see. Because how you walk determines what you will see. And then there's this generational blessing that the blessing, this is what we're doing right now as a church. We're making a way for others. We're saying we want our community to be blessed through us. We want our, our, our city to be blessed through us. We want our country to be blessed. We want our world to be blessed through us. It's the, it's the blessing. It's the covenant of Abraham. And to me, that's mature faith. When you step to that place, not just to say, I want to be blessed and I want to be in hell, but where you say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to rest until there's so much blessing overflowing out of me that everybody that gets around me gets some of it. Because I'm going to think about others. So how do I know? How do I know that God will do what he promised? Well, Jesus. How do I know that God will do what he promised? Water baptism cuts my heart. How do I know that God will do what he's promised? Every time I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit it is the seal and the guarantee 
that God will do exactly and all that he promised. If you're in this room and you're wondering, God, how do I know that you'll do what you promised? I can tell you 2,000 years ago, he answered the question. And now today you can bear the sign and you can have the seal and you, will, you can walk. The Bible says a three-fold cord is not easily broken. Jesus, the sign, and the seal. How can I know? He already answered the question. And he's saying, I'm not God if I don't keep my promise. That's how you can know. That's covenant confidence. Amen. Somebody ought to just praise him for the word. Praise him for the word. Why don't you stand?